Good evening, listeners. My name is Mark Labram, and I'm an elder with Living Waters Community Fellowship in Tableview. And we're on Facebook on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. And you're very welcome to join us. I greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The title of my sermon this evening is, Is There Not a Cause? And it comes from 1 Samuel 17, verse 29. When David was still a young man, too young for military age, his father Jesse sent him to take some food to his brothers that were fighting the Philistines in the valley of Elah. 1 Samuel 17, verse 20 to 23. So David arose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things, and went, to, went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight, and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hands of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came to greet his brothers. Then as he talked to, to them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. This huge giant Goliath was challenging the Israelites to send one man out from among them to fight him, and that would decide the, would decide the battle. 1 Samuel 17 verses 24 to 29 says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were terribly afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, and he will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? So to paraphrase, what we see here is that none of the usually brave Israelite soldiers are prepared to take on this huge giant. Then David comes along and starts asking what kind of reward the man who defeats him will get. And his elder brother gets really angry at this. He's probably also embarrassed at their cowardice and says in effect, Who are you anyway, you little twerp? You only came along to watch the battle. And David answers, Isn't there anything worth fighting for here? He saw that there was something badly wrong, that ultimately God was being blasphemed, and he determined that he would do something about it. Of course, we all know what the end result was. He picked up five smooth stones in his sling and went out to battle. 
he realized that he could not use the same weapons as Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17 verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So David struck Goliath in the forehead with a stone that he slung and then used Goliath's sword to cut off his head, thereby ensuring a great victory over the Philistines. 1 Samuel 17 verse 47 says, Then all this assembled shall know that the Lord does not save with a sword or a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into, his, into our hands. And David was determined to win his prize, uh, his reward, so he wandered around with, um, with Goliath's head in his hands for a while afterwards. Now, although he was young, like any trained soldier, David was fast and accurate with his weapon, in this case a sling. But he also knew something that we must never forget, and that is that physical battles are manifestations of the spiritual battle in the heavenlies. And that no matter how good a soldier you might be, victory or defeat lies in the hands of the Lord God Almighty. Ephesians 6 verses 11 and 12 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are living in the end times and the devil knows that his time is short. So the spiritual battle is intensifying and we need to fight in the heavenlies. Is there not a cause? This is a question that I believe God has put in his people's hearts and it has also inspired many heroic acts down the ages. A cause is defined as something that produces an effect or gives a reason or motive for action. And an issue is an important topic of discussion. So issues lead to causes and causes should lead to action. It has been said that it is important what we think because we often say what we think and that develops our character and our character determines who we are. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. We live in a world where there are many good causes and some very important issues. We hear about saving the rhino or the whale or the polar bear. And since we've been given dominion over the earth, these things are good. Indeed, Proverbs 12 verse 10 says, A righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked man are cruel. This is a very interesting statement. In other words, that the righteous are, are kind to the animals, but even the supposedly good deeds of the wicked are actually, actually cruel. So discernment is necessary because there are unfortunately also people who are prepared to use causes for their own advantage, and some causes are not good at all. The massive global tyranny imposed by the governments as a reaction to the COVID pandemic is a case in point. Using vastly inflated death projections, 
and initially under cover of flattening the curve for a few weeks to give medical staff more time to prepare. The draconian extended lockdowns have now flattened livelihoods and economies and put millions at risk of starvation. Now some of those behind us are also the biggest promoters of abortion, yet they expect us to believe that they care about saving lives. The tender mercies of wicked men are indeed cruel. Psalm 2 verse 1 to 6 speaks about such people and God's reaction to them. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. So they're saying that actually God's laws are, are, are a, a hindrance to them. They want to, they want to break uh, away from God. But then it says, He who sits in heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then, he sh- then shall he speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So there will come a time when God is tired of people rebelling against him. Another case in point is the recent rioting, burning and hooligan behavior of the Black Lives Matter movement in the USA. Now they are self-proclaimed Marxist agitators, much like the Red Berets in our country. The mainstream media often call them protesters when they are in fact rioters. There is a world of difference between their violent actions and a peaceful protest such as we do to, to oppose abortion. Their actions are incited by international communists who, instead of believing in the Creator God, believe that everything evolved by random chance out of chaos. Likewise, they believe that revolution will cause things to improve. They actually believe by burning things down like schools and, and police stations and hospitals that somehow things will get better. Something better will emerge from the ashes. It's really madness. It's been said of communism that the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. What this means is that the communists will take a supposedly good issue and use it to further their own evil ends of revolution, chaos and death. In South Africa today, we like the Israelites may be tempted to hide from the evil giant. Indeed, we face many challenges. Our education is in crisis. Our hospitals are in crisis, and our government is corrupt and inefficient. Abortion of innocent babies is legal, but murderers and rapists cannot be put to death for their crimes. Recently, after a young farm manager, Brennan Horner, was brutally murdered at Senecal, it was found that one of the murder accused had been released from police custody on various charges no less than 16 times. Furthermore, some of the police have allegedly been aiding and abetting stock thief syndicates that have been costing the farmers combined losses of millions of rands, and this has now resulted in the murder of a young man. All these things should 
should certainly concern us. But like David, we are not called to cowardice, but to action. Is there not a cause? Is God not calling us to do something about the crisis in our nation? Sometimes God is searching for only one person who will stand for him. In Ezekiel 22 verse 30, God says of Judah, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. What a tragic situation that was. The wall symbolizes faithful people united in their efforts to, to resist evil. The wall was in disrepair because there was no one to lead them back to God. Their feeble, feeble efforts to rebuild, rebuild the wall through religious rituals were worthless. What the people really needed was genuine repentance and obedience to God's word. Only then could they have stood in the gap and made a difference for God in the world. I trust that we will never be in that terrible situation. And I am encouraged that there are still many faithful Christians in this country. And I also know that there were many people praying for the situation in Senegal before and during the 16th of October. Now drone footage later clearly showed how the red t-shirts left their demarcated area and moved towards the bikers area determined to cause trouble, maybe even to incite war. And as the two groups faced off almost touching, suddenly most of the red t-shirts ran off and soon afterwards the others also left. Now it was so obvious that I wondered how many people had prayed Psalm 68 verse 1. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, let those who hate him flee before him. So we must intercede for our country. We must ask Almighty God that truth and righteousness will prevail. And we must stand against the work of the devil and his servants. Although the unrighteous rule now, there are many people in this nation that thirst for righteousness and are sick and tired of murder and corruption and are praying for an end to it and praying that God will raise up godly people to rule in a godly way. When political leaders publicly call for murder and arson, and then there are fires in the free state, it is high time that all Christians speak out against this evil. Remember that the evil Queen of Scots, also known as Bloody Mary because of her persecution of Protestants, once said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of, of Europe. She knew that if God responded to the prayers of this one righteous man, then her time as a cruel dictator would be over. Knox knew that there was a cause, and God also heard his desperate prayer for revival. Give me Scotland or I die. And God shook Scotland with a great revival. Another person that answered to God's cause was Martin Luther. Over 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, 1517, Dr. Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door at, at Wittenberg. 
In those days, the church door acted as a sort of notice board. And these theses was his biblical direction to call the true church back to Christ. He had come to realize that the Roman Catholic Church to whom he belonged as a priest had become totally corrupt and had rejected the word of God and accepted man-made legends instead. Bishops and cardinals were buying their positions and living with their mistresses and priests were selling indulgences and telling people that they could buy their way out of purgatory, which they had invented as a sort of halfway house to hell. God, God revealed to Luther what was wrong and also what needed to be done. Luther risked his life for the cause of God by standing against the Catholic Church, whose leaders used to burn to death anyone who dared to oppose them. And they summons Luther to the town of Worms, where he was told to recant. That is, they wanted him to apologize for what they claimed was heretical teaching. He responded with the famous words, Unless I am convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I am in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant, for I am subject to the scriptures I have quoted. My conscience is captive to the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to do anything against one's conscience. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. So help me God. Amen. Fortunately for him, he was immediately afterwards uh, kidnapped <laughs> by the friendly Duke Ferdinand and hidden in Wartburg Castle. Otherwise, he would doubtless have paid for this brave stand with his life. He said that people needed to repent and turn to God and his word. Matthew 6 verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. For most people, they could only turn to his word if it was available in their own language. And this was illegal on pain of death at that time. So Luther spent his time in Wartburg translating the Bible into German so that ordinary German people could read it. It was also Luther who warned, I am much afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell unless they did diligently labor in explaining the Holy Scriptures, engraving them in the hearts of the youth. I would advise no one to place his child where the Scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not constantly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. How tragically prophetic his words are, not just for schools, but for universities. Studies have shown that some 70% of Christian children reject God at university as a result of humanistic evolutionary teaching. The good news is, this, is that this does not have to be so. A recent, a recent survey by Creation Ministries has shown that children whose churches train them in apologetics, that is how to defend your faith, and biblical creation, are usually able to withstand this assault by humanism. Tyndall also did the same thing with the English Bible. He proclaimed that he wanted even the relatively uneducated plowman to be able to read it. And for this he was eventually burnt at the stake. 
In South Africa, we are not facing the kind of intense persecution that these reformers faced. These brave, brave people's efforts were awarded when the printing press was invented and larger volumes of Bibles could be printed. And nowadays, many people are able to get a Bible in their own language. It used to cost a month's salary in, in those days. What an irony it is that nowadays some Christians know more about the evil, evil pagan tradition of Halloween than the start of the Reformation on the same day, the 31st of October. Halloween is pure evil, while the godly fruits of the Reformation are still experienced today. My last story is about William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, and is taken from the book Why We Cannot Stay Silent by Tom Minnery. While I read it, think also of our country, where there are also in the, town, in the, in the um, squatter camps and townships, um, there are also Shabines, brothels, and abject poverty. England did not succumb permanently to Wesley's campaign for righteousness. A century after him, the nation was chugging and belching its way through the Industrial Revolution, on the path to modernity, spewing human refuse in its wake. By 1865, London, a city of three million, had a hundred thousand citizens in poverty and thousands more teetering on the brink of it. One night, a lanky, stoop-shouldered man strode through the streets of the hellish East London slum, stricken by what he saw. He thrust past laborers and women clad only in soiled petticoats. Children foraged at his feet, gobbling up heaps of decaying uh, plums. He saw five-year-olds blind drunk and mothers giving babies beer to drink. He saw drunken men fighting. The whole city stank as 370 sewers flushed into the Thames. The smell was so bad that in summer no member of parliament could use the House of Commons library. The moral stench was manifesting in a physical stench. Booth was not repulsed by all this. When he got home to his little apartment, he told his wife, wife Catherine that the downtrodden of London were to be his life's work. Is there not a cause? Night after night, Booth dragged himself home, exhausted after his preaching mission in the city streets. He called drunks from their stupors and prostitutes from their brothels, offering salvation in Jesus Christ as the only way out of their hellish lock of sin. Many times he returned home in tattered and bloody clothes, for not every ruffian welcomed the news of salvation. He was barred from respectable Methodist churches because his converts stank them up. So he formed brass bands and marched through the red light areas. Among the saved were hundreds of prostitutes who told shocking tales of being enticed into London with promises of honest work, being raped by pimps and forced into prostitution. The Salvation Army had rotten eggs and dead cats and abuse thrown to them, but by God's grace they changed England for Christ. Interestingly, Booth said prophetically that the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration. 
politics without God and heaven without hell. This is what we're seeing in many churches today as liberal theology is taught in many seminaries. He also said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to the pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come here and then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Is there not a cause? Of course there is. There is no greater cause than the great commission given by our Lord in Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. In our fellowship we take this command of our Lord seriously. In order, in order to make disciples, we first need to lead people to Christ and then disciple them in his ways. And this is a wonderful privilege. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. As David realized, we need to use other weapons as, as our enemy. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 to 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We need to use our scud missiles of prayer and launch them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that the battle is the Lord's. Lords, we need to work for reformation and pray for revival. Reformation is what we can do to glorify God. Revival is a supernatural move of God's Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, when the people repented and turned back to God, the first thing they did was to rebuild the altar. What does this mean symbolically for us? We need to get serious with God. We each need to turn off our cell phones televisions and Facebook and we need to spend time alone with God. We need to get back to our family devotions with our families and we need to attend church and soul group regularly to worship God, encourage each other and grow in the things of God. We need to plead with God for revival, a special move of the Holy Spirit that totally transforms people and nations. Will the cause be easy? No, Jesus never promised us that. In, in John 15 verse 20, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And John 16 verse 33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But he does tell us that every blood-washed, spiritful child of God 
will reign in his victory for all eternity and that he will defeat his enemies and make them his footstool. Revelations 21 verse 67 And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of life to all who thirsts. He who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In Revelations 22 verse 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. If you've not drunk of this water of life, if you've not repented of your sins and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, please contact us. We would love to speak to you. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for everyone listening tonight that they will all turn to you and that you will hear their cry for revival, both in our hearts and in our land, and that you will continue to protect us from evil and provide for us out of your great abundance. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. And thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.